Welcome back to the Locker Room Podcast, podcast number 61. As usual, I have Stevie Poocher and Daniel St. Ledger here today. We're going to review the Alarm and Football quarterfinals. Stevie, um, we'll start with you. Thanks for coming on the show, lads. We'll start with you. I know you were very, very active there on Sunday night on Twitter, but we'll start, we'll start with you. Derry, Dublin, Galway and Kerry. Now, you actually predicted all of these teams to get into the semifinals. Uh, so there were no huge surprises. But what, what for you were, were the main talking points for the weekend games? Listen, Joe, I suppose there was nothing really to talk about in the Dublin game outside of the fact that Daniel has alluded to in the past that, that without Conor Callaghan, Dublin at the present moment in time are looking very ordinary. And I think on Saturday night, that sort of confirmed everyone's uh, suspicions, you know, that without King Kong, you know, they, they, they seem to be a very... Look, a good side, but a, but a side that are vulnerable and a side that can be beaten. Uh, Derry Clare, I suppose that the outcome, uh, the result as such, uh, uh, didn't surprise too many, but maybe the manner of, of, the, of the win, you know, with Derry scoring so many goals so early. Uh, and they've been so weak on the first half. And I think one of the things, obviously, that, that Derry had honed in on was very, very identifiable early in the game, and that was the Clare kickout, uh, Joe. Um, you know, they went after it aggressively, they went after it hard. Uh, Gallagher has obviously brought in a huge level of conditioning to this group. Uh, you can see in the way that they play, the way they attack, you know, how they transition. Uh, you know, they've got serious athleticism in their team. And look, they've good footballers too, Joe. Uh, you know, Shane McGuigan was absolutely outstanding again. Uh, Rogers and McKeag, like if, if Clare decided to give up the kickouts, but like you've got to remember as well, as good a man marker as McKeag and Rogers are, they're as equally as good at traveling with the ball, you know, and with Block Knee were, 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 were really in their plum and during their time of winning Ulster titles and getting all out of finals, like McKeague and Rogers were the driving force of that team and the heartbeat of that side, you know, and uh, like Derry have, have some really good players. Connor Glass come back in there as well this year, obviously. And I think Sunday was probably the first time, Joe, outside of the attritional Ulster affair, or sorry, Saturday, outside of the attritional Ulster affair that, Glass has probably found a bit of freedom, you know. I think in Ulster, people are so aware of him that he's maybe he's maybe tagged or he's maybe targeted or he's maybe man marked. But on Sunday or Saturday against Clare, you know, he, he sort of had the freedom of the park, and and you've seen what he's capable of doing. You know, he's he's a fine athlete and a, and a fine footballer. But look, Sunday's first game was 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 absolutely how probably how a lot of people had predicted it was going to be cat and cagey early on. Uh, it was a slow burner to start with, very tactical. Um, you know, long bouts of possession for both teams. Uh, but once the game started to get a bit frantic in the second half, you know, it, 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 it had everything. But look, from a Galway perspective, they'll probably be disappointed, Joe, in, in the manner of their collapse, because there was a very similar collapse in the Connacht final against Roscommon as well, uh, when Roscommon sort of threw the kitchen sink at them and, and went at them and pressed kickouts and, and decided to go route one, which is interesting. Uh, Galway struggled. Now I called it in this show, I think, last month that I thought they wouldn't they wouldn't contest an Ireland final with Gleason and goals. Um, I think he's a very, very poor keeper. Uh, they have an issue in nets, they've tried par in there as well. I think they've used three keepers this year already. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's dropped for the semi-final, Joe. It honestly wouldn't surprise me. But um, look, hats off to Armagh. They showed a bit, they showed a bit of resilience. Um, you know, they they, they came back into the game uh, with, with a couple of fortuitous goals as well. But you know, they could have and probably should have won the game in extra time. And I suppose the big debate in that game is why did Armagh drop off the kick out when they went a point up? But like, 
it's very easy to say that when you're watching from the outside. When you're on the sideline and that ball goes over the bar and you look at the clock and there's 60 seconds left, like you're you're probably going to be squealing for your team to get back and get that, you know. So, um, you know, and, and I just I remember I've been involved in games in the past. One that Daniel was involved in as well against Down. Actually, I remember we're, we're during our time at Carlo and it was a key game. Uh, and I remember you know in injury time, six minutes in injury time, scoring equaliser. And dropping off the kick out and, and down got a free kick from that like and, and got the winner. But so it's very, very easy in the heat of the moment to sort of to, to to you know to say, oh, why did they not press? But you can understand they're a point up and and they're obviously trying to take the lead. But look, the last game went as scripted, uh, Joe. I think Mayo have been very, very poor this year. Um they've been very vulnerable. They were very open in the in the in the Connacht game against Galway. They were extremely, extremely exposed against Kildare. In fact, Kildare probably feel they left the game behind them. And it was no surprise that that a sort of a what you would probably call a 60-70% carry get over the line by seven or eight points. And Daniel, just on the wider point, there were over 70,000 people at Crow Park on the Sunday. The atmosphere was unreal. The entertainment value given by the Galway and Armagh players, especially, despite a lot of the negativity. Uh, recently that we've heard in the media and even from some politicians. I mean, the effort levels and commitment, especially, you know, the penalty shootouts, uh, you know, you have to hold your hands up to these two sets of players. You do, Joe. Yeah, it was really good. And I, I found the, the political element absolutely ridiculous on Monday morning. I, I just, I can't, can't get my head around it. I mean, of all the problems we have at the moment, like Christ above. Anyway, separate issue, but... Um, it, you know, on Sunday, and I, I put it, I put a lot of this down to Galway and Armagh. I think a lot of crowd, a lot of the fanfare was down to that, down to that game. You know, um, I, I it was the first time I'd say in about ten years it felt like real championship stuff, where you're just like, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. And I, I thought, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. <clears throat> Obviously, that one incident at the end aside, I'll take that away and, and just talk about what what actually occurred on the field. And it, I thought it was brilliant. It had. It had moments of naivety. It had moments of, of, of unbelievably, unbelievable quality, um, doggedness. It, it had a sending off. It had. It just had everything. It, it was absolute quality and badly needed, I think, because you know the other three games probably didn't really live up to live up to a whole lot. But I think it's no coincidence that that game was the tightest. And, and obviously, both have flaws tactically and all the rest. But their strength and conditioning are, are very, very, very similar places. And I thought they matched up really well. I thought when you looked at all the, all the other three games, um, the Derry and Clare, Derry just looked like they were on a different planet. And, and Stevie mentioned their conditioning. And it's not even that they're, they're sloggers and will run for 70 minutes, but it's, their, it's that 50, 60, 70 meter burst, especially on transition. It's, it's, it's incredible. Like there's times you look, you look across the field when they're coming out of their 45 and they've got five, six lads with heads down and just a flat out sprint to the power 45, you know, and it's really, really impressive. And, and you know, that, that looks to be really specific sort of coaching, you know, which, which is obviously paying dividends. But I, I thought Dublin and Cork, again, similar. It's probably Cork actually did okay. I thought Dublin were a bit toothless. They, they did what they had to do, but I, there was a mismatch there. And that's the reality. Dublin could just get their score so much easier. Um, and I thought Mayo just looked just looked exhausted, and and every time they kicked it wide, every time they had a turnover, it just sucked the energy, sucked the energy, sucked the energy. And I think you know the, the funny thing, I think Mayo had forty one percent conversion rate, and and for all the gaps that were in the team, what was the difference? It was you're looking at David Clifford probably on, on one side of the field, and no shooting forward really that was on fire for for Mayo, you know. And it's 
I, I've never came across the championship at the moment. Like we always talk about not relying on one person, and it's always a, a group, it's a team. It, the, the, the structure and the format of the team supersedes any individual. But I've never come across anything where it's if David Clifford has gone for Kerry, massive dent in their, their, their huge problems. If Conor Callan specifically has gone for Dublin, that's a massive dent in their in, in, in their attack. Um, Galway and Derry probably a little bit less so. I, I, but I think Derry were opposition accounted for. Derry were just really impressive and they looked like they had a point to prove. And that that is a dangerous place. And every time I've seen them so far, I've, I've been kind of waiting for them to, to just not slip up, but waiting for a little bit of reality to bite. And every time I see them, there's something new. They have they, they give me something different. Like So the, the Ulster final, they had no problem turning that into an absolute shit show, to call it what it was. They had no problem taking this thing out of the game and playing really, really slowly, methodically. Then you come up to Croke Park and they made a concerted attempt to say, right, we're going after this game. You know, and I thought putting Rogers in the middle of the field, they, they highlighted O'Neill from Clare and they kind of went after him a little bit in his mobility. Uh, Chrissy McCaig put Keelan Sexton on the back foot from, from the get-go and, and, and the rootlessness in front of goal. That was a bit of a two fingers to everyone who was saying that Will Derry's, Will Derry's system, all the rest, you know, and... They're a dangerous team, a really dangerous team. And, and I, put it, I put it this way, I wouldn't be amazed to see them in all Ireland final. Yeah, I think on the previous podcast, you were a little bit unsure about whether or not they were All-Ireland contenders. But now you're, you're more convinced, it seems. Yeah, I think so. Like, and, and again, look, this, this is all very dependent on what with, with Kerry and Dublin, who gets a fit group of players, really. You know, I still think they're probably not at that level when both of those teams are humming. But... Neither of those teams have been home all year. You know, Kildare gave a little glimpse of, of the Kildare game for Dublin, gave a little glimpse of what they were capable of. But again, that's with Conor Callan with the fit James McCarthy. They looked like they had real intent. But, you know, <laughs> that was easy pickings, easy pickings for Dublin that day. But, and Kerry the same. Kerry have stuttered consistently through, through kind of a good league campaign, fair enough. But like through Munster, you know, all right. And I thought, I thought against Mayo. If Mayo had anything about them, Kerry were there for the taking. And it was a bit like the Tyrone semi-final last year where first half, Kerry were dominating and they just silly little turnovers, over-elaboration, one little dummy solo too much rather than just getting it over the bar, doing the simple things, you know. And there's an element of that in the in the first half. And obviously, second half, they pulled away. But I think that was more to Mayo, just their energies being sapped from that first 15 second half. OK, well, we go through these games a bit more methodically, lads. But before we do that, just a quick word from our sponsors. Ripped for supporting the podcast. Ripped's online platform provides coaches with everything they need to optimize athlete performance. Head over to ripped.app for more information. OK, Stevie, we'll just start with that Armagh-Galway game. Um, Galway winning penalties. Armagh started really well. <clears throat> Galway came back into it. They led by six. <clears throat> And then Armagh get the two late goals. Obviously forced it to extra time. We know what happened in the penalty shootout. Ultimately, the game was a draw. But who, in your view, was the better team and why? Joe, listen, I think maybe look, Galway, for me, were probably marginally the better side on, on, on Sunday past. Um, you know, look, I, I think it's it's no secret. Probably a lot of people now, Joe, that... that, that you know, probably haven't seen them up closely. I suppose I, I've been in a fortunate situation that I've, I've watched them three or four times over the last number of years and studied them very closely last year. And outside of the big three, as you would call it, you know, the, the, the three that are renowned is Comer and Conroy and Walsh. You know, everyone seems to point the finger at these three. Like, But, 
you know, Rob Fennerty in the corner forward, Joe, is as good a forward as there is out there at the minute and on, on, on form. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a very, very elusive player. Um, you know, they've got Killian McDade who can float between nine and alternate with Matthew Tierney as well. You know, two fine, fine footballers. But they have a few dogs as well, Joe, and I, I mean that with the greatest respect. You know, warriors like the likes of Kelly there, who, who's the captain, you know, an absolute competitor of the highest order, you know, and, and will put the head in where many wouldn't put the boot. And then you've got ball playing halfbacks as well, even the likes of of, of uh, Malloy from Cora Finn, who's a couple of Club All-Ireland medals under his, under his collar, thought he was outstanding on Sunday, you know, and makes a Johnny Heaney who'll put a shift in for you and, and will dog it out. And even even options coming off the bench there as well, Joe, you know, like this, this is this is a massive county, Galway's a massive county. Uh, you know, they have a huge tradition in, in both football and hurling. You know, over the last number of years, they've been, they've been very successful underage teams as well. They're under 21 team. From a number of years ago, the likes of Matthew Tierney's crowd, you know, they're coming through now and, and starting to show a bit of maturity. But for me, Joe, there wasn't an awful lot tactically wrong with, with what Armagh had done. You know, I think the sending off was obviously a big moment as well. It made them have to chase the game a little bit more. But um, look, it's the Crow Park factor too, Joe. You know, Armagh probably haven't played an awful lot of football at Crow Park over the last number of years. I know they did this year in the National League, but it does make a difference, you know, and, and obviously, you know, Galway haven't been there last year for the Connacht final as well against against um, Mayo, and then they're this year for the National League final as well against Roscommon would have obviously have helped them, you know. But but I do feel, Joe, look, it's 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 a team that's probably, in my honest opinion, Galway are a team that are that are very, very un, under underestimated, I think, by a lot of people because they don't really see past the legs of Walsh and Conroy. Conroy, who in particular was, was quite quiet on, on, on Sunday, in my opinion. But one of the biggest things for me, Joe, is the kick-out, Gleeson. And listen, Derry had their own problem as well, um, you know, with lynching goals and, and give away a couple of, couple, of, couple of sort of what you would call high-risk sort of kick-outs that ended up, you know, in, in, in scores for Clare. So that element of the semi-final is going to be very intriguing to see you know what both teams will do with with their um, with their respective goalkeepers. You know, uh, but it's look, you, you couldn't really point the finger, Joe, at anything really tactically on on Sunday that Armagh didn't do well. I think it was just a matter of of Galway on the day it just had better players outside of their big guns. Is that what it is, Daniel? Do Galway have better attackers? I mean, if you're looking at some of the stats, there both teams had 25 shots from play. Galway score 18, Armagh score 15. Is it is it the better quality up top? Galway, is that why? Obviously, it was a draw, but... Yeah, it's... I, I thought when Armagh were in the, in, the, in the ascendancy in the first 15 minutes, they probably didn't go for the squeeze, let's say, the way Derry did. Uh, like, Jerry O'Gorns had a good goal chance. Even uh, I think Nugent had a really good goal chance. He could have popped off to Greg McKay. Like, they, they, were, they were really big chances, and yes, they weren't clear-cut, and, and they, got, they got a point out of one of them, but... Like a goal at that stage in the game is you're you're turning into one one three to a point or whatever it was at the time and that that kind of changes the, the dynamic a little bit that it, it makes Galway have to come out of their shell a little bit but Galway were able to grind their way into the game and you could see slow for the first maybe fifteen minutes they were slow to get back into their set but eventually eventually they they kind of got there and I I don't like there's very little between the two teams I mean Armagh were missing probably three or four lads that would have made an impact to come in. Um, that that did it. That did have a that did have an effect on them, especially in the middle third. I thought they for that for that middle section, you know, outside of the first fifty minutes, I thought they struggled in the middle third a little bit. Um, but overall, like I I I think it was it was a very very tight game. There was 
practically nothing between the two of them, but Galway probably did edge it. The one thing I will say about Galway and, and looking forward for, for the Derry game is I, I still think they're 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 fighting their natural urges the way they're playing at the moment. They're they, they are getting back in numbers and they are defending really well. And, and we mentioned John Dibley here at the very, I think the very first podcast we did. And you can see, I know Keenan O'Neill's getting a lot of plaudits, but you can see a bit of grunt in them, especially in, in their half back line. And when you get it, when it gets into the close quarters around the D, that they're an aggressive, really tough tackling team. But I'm not sure that's like their natural style of play. And especially when you need your, let's say your inside forwards working like dogs, especially on kickout presses and different things like that. I'm not sure it's natural to them, you know, and, uh, Shane Watch is a gorgeous footballer, you know, he's lovely football, almost cost him in, in the end, but like, I, I'm not sure that's his natural instinct is to dog in and do that kind of grunt work. And I, I put it this way, Derry will, and there'll be no problem with Derry getting 15 men behind the ball if they need to at times, if they feel they're under pressure. And maybe that's one thing that Armagh possibly could have done a little bit better. I, I, I thought they were too matchup focused at times. So when the pressure was on them, I felt they had their match, matchups but they didn't defend as a unit as such. They said, I've got my job done. That's it. Wherever he goes, no problem. And that created space for Finnerty an awful lot, I thought. And especially when it looked like a lot of time he was been picked up by Greg McCabe and Greg was making a lot of runs down the field and there was maybe five or six yards separation in that in that scoring zone. And I, I think there was just nearly an overemphasis from our man in the matchups and they just forgot about defending collectively. But in fairness to Galway, I, I, I'm probably criticising him a little bit, but they their, their middle... 40 minutes or 45 minutes, I thought, were really, really strong. They looked powerful, athletic, um, but but their game management was diabolical in the in the last few minutes. It really was. And part part of that game management were those high balls that were launched in by Arma. One of them actually bounced within in the 14 yard line, and you're thinking, how can you let a ball like that bounce? Whose responsibility is that? Is it the goalkeeper Gleason or is it the full back line? Is it the full back? I, I thought it was so far out that it should have. Someone should have been. I think Sean Kelly was in around it. He probably should have taken control, even put a fist to it, just get some contact on it. Um, and 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 this is kind of goes back to what I was saying about them fighting their natural urges. I, they were trying to game manage. Like I saw when James Morgan got the yellow card. I think Shane Walsh went over and wrestled him to the ground immediately to try and get him the second yellow. You know, and they're 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 trying to they're trying to do these things. And there was a couple of iffy head injuries and these things. So they're, they're trying to slow the game down as best they can. But then when you have moments like Shane Walsh's crossfield ball like that that things like that that's what I mean when they're when they're natural I call it flare but I don't mean it positively when their flare comes out it, it can be real negative because even if that ball got across to the far side of the field the man he was giving it to was in no better position than he was and it was it was just a crazy lapse in time and it was a little bit self-serving and I think that's not going to that's not going to cut it against a dairy team who are totally the opposite I mean you talk about game management and, and killing the game. They will, they will go juggler and then they will just say, right, come and break us down, you know. So I, I think it's it's just not natural to Galway, I don't think. And it probably wasn't overly natural to Armagh at times as well. It, they, and that's why it was probably such a good contest, you know. So I'm kind of contradicting myself because it's what made the game so enjoyable that there was a bit of naivety. But let's talk about the big boys here. It'll be, you know, it's a different story when you get to an All-Ireland final day. So Stevie, how do you get through to guys like Shane Watts with so much ability, but if his game management is like that and he's hitting a crossfield pass in the last minute of the game, um, what does Pardrick Joyce say to him? How do you stop? How do you get these guys to manage the game better? Well, Joe, before I just talk about that, just to back up what Daniel said there about the goal scoring chances, it, it mystifies me why so early in the game a player will will settle for a point in a situation like that. You know, take the the Johnny O'Burns one. Like, if you pause that, and I actually watched it back on Monday and I paused it, it, the goal is so on. Like, 
it's so on. You know, he's got time, he's got space. He's, he's got, I think it was Nugent, Daniel outside him. But there is that opportunity to give the ball, get it back and palm it in, or even a kicking chance for Nugent. But like so early in the game, hunt the goals. Like that's different if it's 17 all with a minute to go. You know, and you, and you want to make sure of, of, of putting yourself in front or or equalising whatever happens to be so late in the game. But so early in the game, you're going to get another chance back. You know that the one that you miss. So like it's 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 risk and reward, and it is more than more than worth uh, the risk, Joe. Particularly in the game because a goal at that moment, you know, is, is a big play. But from a game management perspective, Joe, it's 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 analysis. It's analysis. Um, you know, I'm sure that'll be highlighted this week. You go back to the famous story of of Dublin, five or six points up. And I think it was Paul Flynn that told this story. I'm not sure the exact player who told it, but, you know, he took a shot with the outside of his foot and, and sliced it wide. And at that stage, Dublin were showboating with five or six minutes to go against Mayo. I think it was maybe 2016, 17, whenever it was. And uh, Mayo ended up getting a replay. You know, and all week, Jim Gavin's whole video analysis was surrounded around that that particular moment of fight. He took that shot on. You know, he shouldn't have took it on. He shouldn't have took that moment on. So... Mm-hmm. Can I jump in? Can I jump in there for a second, right? So the funny story for you. That particular episode you're talking about was a line ball. I think it was 2016. And I I I took up a steward in spot. So I gave my wife Laura and her dad a ticket. So I, I was a steward on the sideline. And I was right where it was. I think it was on about 21. And Kieran Kilkenny had the ball and he was looking to go back and forth. And I was from here to the computer away. And Connolly had it in his hands and he was he ripped it off and he had a go, I think, if you remember, and he pulled it to the right. Now, the rumour was Connolly had a, a holiday in Ibiza next week, so they didn't want to replay. But whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that was that's the exact moment you were talking about. And it was, you can guarantee that was analysed to the, to the nth degree, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the only way, Daniel, that players will learn. Like, like, it's okay, Joe, talking about it, like, but there's no hiding from the camera, you know. So you highlight this moment, you say, right, and if you had actually looked at when, when Shane Walsh had the ball, he had a player ahead of him who he could have easily have hand-passed over, over the Armand player's head, who possibly would have been in for a score. He could have soloed even further towards the, towards the end line, you know, and come back out and recycled. He had so many options, and yet he tried, you know, the absolute impossible cross-field ball. But then again, that's the maverick and the type of player he is, and you don't try to stifle that creativity and that influence. But so late in the game, like, you're, you're pleading with players then to to click in the game management mode, whether it's a call or whether it's a, a bit of on-field leadership, as Daniel says, from someone, you know, Kieran Kilkenny telling Damer Connolly maybe to put knock one out the back there and give it to the next man. But sometimes when you've got that sort of maverick, you know, uh, off-the-cuff type player, it's it's very hard to get through to them. But you can bet your bottom dollar against Derry, they'll need every piece of game management going, Joe. And Stevie, just to finish off with our mother, they used nine subs, you know, on and off. They really, really went deep into their into their squad. Uh, even some guys actually had their first sort of senior competitive appearance for Orma. Um, how did that impact them there in the last sort of five, 10 minutes of extra time? Well, I don't think it would have had a huge impact, Joe, because for, for me, it's it's very straightforward. Like if a player is named in the match day 26, then he, he should be considered to be playing, you know, in, in, a, in a county team, in a county squad, like it's different in a club team, Joe, you know, maybe smaller numbers, smaller club. But in a county like Armagh, you know, the 26 that were named, like, for example, Tiernan Kelly wasn't named, who was involved, obviously, in the incident at the end. I don't know if he was injured or not, but he's a hell of a player, a really good footballer. So if he's not getting into the 26, like, they obviously have a lot of quality in that 26. I think Mark Sheen possibly might have been the 26. I didn't see the 26, but, like, they have some serious quality that didn't make a joke. 
you know so if you're in the 26 it it surely means that that you're you're fit for action and you're fit to come in and make an impact so i don't think that would have had a major influence in in, in the proceedings joe you know but i think it might have give a little bit of freshness in the second period of extra time I, I think just just on that story, Joe, I think that might have been one of the influencing factors for that last kick out, you know, that uh, you work so hard on your starting 15, maybe 16 players about how to press a kick out and working zonally or whatever you might do. If you have four or five lads that are coming in for your debut, no matter what, that's going to be very hard for them to click into that. So I'd imagine that was why it was a call of right lads retreat back a little bit. And maybe that was the only that was the only major thing. But I, as far as I know, there was, there was definitely a couple of injuries. I think um, Oshin O'Neill was injured as well. He featured previously. Um, Tierney Kelly was was injured as far as I know as well uh, and there was one or two others so it was I, I think it was all hands to deck for, for Armagh I think and Daniel you just mentioned the melee towards the end of full time there what were your views on that obviously we don't want to spend too long on it but had you any yeah. strong views on that the, the first thing I'd say is look there, there's no there's no condoning that, that particular action you know it, it, I, I straight away said that and I'm no angel myself and Stevie's probably seen lots of it over the years like I'm not <laughs> going to sit in the moral high ground here and, and pretend I'm a great fella but look there's no condoning it shouldn't have happened no bill no better than himself now like he's the, the, the one element I don't like is there, there appears to be a witch hunt online for him and, and I saw particular journalists even putting screenshots and, and using phrases that will incite a bit of hate and because so many people are watching it and because the extra time was such a big deal and all the rest of it there was a lot of people then piling on and there was people looking for his addresses looking for work the disciplinary uh, system will take care of him there's absolutely no no doubt and they should but there's an element of um fairly high profile people kind of piling on this for benefits of uh, articles podcasts uh, talk shows and I don't think that's right and, and I think they're 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 gouging on the on the on the rage that is Twitter sometimes and Stevie will not have better than anyone but as regards to Row itself look I thought at the time I was like Jesus this has absolutely everything but if it stopped where, with the players on the field I think when the when the extra numbers came in when Donny got involved when uh, I know McKeever says he was breaking it up but like when when Park Joyce was there I thought it escalated far too quickly I can totally understand how I mean the, the the energy I felt after Ian O'Neill struck that for that that's seventy meter free nearly was unbelievable. I can only imagine what the Armagh players players were like, but it it needed to, like without the eye gouge there was just pushing and shoving a bit of what we call it machoism you know where they're putting the chests out. But when it escalated then that that's when it, it just it, it was too much. But I, I think let the GA control let let them sort it out. There'll no doubt be punishment. Um, I'd be a little bit nervous if I was Galway because. If you send people off or contributing to, to a melee, and if they appeal, they could pick five or six other lads who contributed, even though it was minimal. So I, there'll be, there, I think there, the GA will come down extremely hard on it, and rightly so. But like I, I thought it definitely up until the point where it got overly serious, I thought it added massive uh, energy to the whole thing. I thought it was it was a good watch, let's say, for want of a better word. But as I said, not condoning the the final little bit of it at all. Okay, uh, Stevie, the young lad that don't you know he'll get punished. You know he's made a mistake. I'm sure he'll get punished. I'm sure he'll learn from it. And then you know we all move on. These things don't need to be blown out of proportion. And the things as Daniel said that are happening on the social media, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it is, Joe. But at the same time, Joe, I think what we need from our national broadcaster RTE, we need a level of consistency. You know, um, I go back to Dublin Kerry in the National League. Uh, where there's a full-blown melee on the field, in the middle of the field. There's jerseys being pulled off people's backs. 
there's 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 punches being thrown. There's you know there's high digs in around the neck. There's a lot of, there's a lot of this neck grabbing goes on nowadays as well. You know where they're trying to pinch people's airways and stuff like that. You know more or less a form of choking, and it's it's not even discussed. It's not even discussed. But there's nearly a whole program dedicated to Toronto Armara. And Joe, I'm going to be bluntly honest here now. In no way do I condone any actions of of eye gouging or, or or finger pointing into people's eyes or anything like that because it's it's extremely dangerous for someone's sight. But I will say, Joe, here now, it is it has become blatantly obvious of a huge level of biasness towards northern teams from our national broadcaster RTE, and it's very very clear as day. Very very clear as day. I can't. I, I think. You know, when I when I look back at it and sort of you know look at all the incidents that have happened, the coaches that get overanalyzed, like Joe, even my own situation last year, like where you know Cantwell goes after me after there was common Galway game, I wasn't even there, Joe. I had COVID at the time and I missed the two weeks in the build up the championship. But for some some strange reason, you know, I was name checked about fifteen times between the first half and half time. You know, but other coaches that are that are in, in the public domain and maybe, you know, have a few mates or a few buddies in the TV studio, you know, they seem to get a free ride and a free ticket. So there's unquestionably, Joe, unquestionably, you know, an anti-Northern element there as well to that, that, you know, everyone's riding on it now and Colin O'Rourke's coming and calling it thuggery. Uh, Kieran Whelan's talking about thuggery. You know, these boys have got to be very careful because... When you lived in a glass house all your life, you know, you should be careful you shouldn't be throwing stones because the same two boys would be very well first in Thuggery, you know, during their era of playing and the teams that they were involved in, you know, and particularly that Meath team and particularly that Dublin team that Whelan were involved in. So, you know, I think we've got to be careful. I don't mind, Joe, heavy punishments. I don't mind them because it has to stop and it's creeping in a club level, but there has to be an element of consistency. It can't be trial by TV or trial by social media. And people don't realise the influence that the clowns in RTE have on the general public, you know, it's a huge influence on the general population because even though what they what they come out with is is not nonsensical, very few of them have ever, ever coached teams outside of Eamon Fitzmaurice, to be honest with you. But you know, it's 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 influential because people listen to it. It's the national broadcaster, it's the only channel that broadcasts our, our national games. So therefore, it's 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 very very influential. Worse, if Sky were covering the game. Would it, would it have got the same level of, of coverage and things like that? Probably not, because they would have focused on what was more important, the game and what that game brought to, to as Daniel says, 70,000 people plus uh, those people at home as well, the energy, the atmosphere, you know, the the the, the buzz of having 36, 37,000 RMA fans back in Pro Park, you know, and for me, Joe, it's, it's very plain. It's plain like there's no one there's no one brings more colour or drama or atmosphere to Croker than Ulster teams. And that's the reality of the situation. You know, I think Cork played on the Saturday and I think that 400 supporters, you know, 400 or something like that, I think it was, you know, madness. Like, what was what was in Crow Park on Saturday? 20,000, 25,000. But yet if Dublin or the All-Ireland finally and have every Tom, Nick and Harry in Dublin looking at ticket, do you know what I mean? You know, so it's, uh, I think I think we need to look at it very, very carefully. And obviously, as Daniel says, don't condone those things, but let's have a level of consistency and a little bit of parity. And as for the politics side of things, I remember years ago, uh, my father said to me, he says, one thing anyway, he says, always remember, politics and sport doesn't mix. And it doesn't mix. So whoever she is, I don't even know who she is, but she maybe keep her opinions to herself in the future, you know. Very strong views there, <clears throat> Stevie. Daniel, when we look at that, and Stevie made a point there about, you know, Sky Sports and RTE. As a coach, <clears throat> as a manager yourself, when you see uh, Peter Canavan and Jimmy McGuinness, Jim McGuinness on Sky Sports, and they're been really analytical, and then you switch over to RTE, and there's a different type of focus. Where do you lie with this? 
the easiest way for me to describe this, Joe, is my views on watching hurling, right? So I know very little about hurling, really, in, in, in all reality. So if there's a match on Sky or a match on RT, I'll probably go to RT to watch Anthony Daly or whoever, having a bit of crack and telling a few stories and, and that kind of thing. If if I go to if I go to, to Sky and look at, I think it's Ollie Canning or James O'Connor, it's much more analytical and probably a little less of that kind of banter, you know? So for, for something I don't particularly mind about, I've no problem with it, but from a from a football point of view, again, if I want to see drama, I go to the RT. If I want to actually see analysis, I go to Sky. Like, and I, I preferred Saturday's analysis. I preferred the package. I preferred everything that 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 Saturday brought. I, I think the insights of, of McGinnis and Canavan are just are top class. Um, and again, I don't have a northern bias here that they're because they're from the north that they're excellent like analysts, but they really are, you know. And and they look kind of deeply at the game and. I, I just 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 the RT doesn't really appeal to me. Um, I, I think a couple of a couple of exceptions. You know, I, I thought Oshie McConnell was excellent in the week at the weekend. I thought Colin Boyd was quite good, but some of the the older members are yeah just a little bit out of touch. But that's 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 what's that's what's required because they, they you have to look at this. This is about ratings. Like this is not about fair analysis. This is about who is that person going to reach. And let's say Colin O'Rourke and Pat Spillane, they hit a massive cohort of. 50, 60 plus year olds who watch this, who don't necessarily care about kick out presses. They just want to see flipping commentary. And I think we have to be very cognizant of the fact that this is TV, this is a business, they just want to sell. And, and that's why, like, you know, I thought it was funny, the RT were saying, we don't want to see those kind of scenes, but the camera was zoomed in for the whole row. If they were really worried about it, switch it off. You know, so look, at the end of the day, it's, it's I won't call it show business, that makes it sound too jazzy, but that, I think that's where it is for me anyway. Okay, lads, we'll move on to Mayo v Kerry. Daniel, you mentioned the conversion rate there for Mayo. I think it was around 41%, but Kerry with a sort of comfortable enough victory there without ever actually having to play that well. Uh, both teams had to wait for an hour because of the, the extra time and penalties in the other game. What way did you see that game? Were you disappointed with Mayo or what went wrong with Mayo? Just before you do answer, obviously... James Horn, we've just received the news that James Horn has stepped down as Mayo manager uh, as well. You know, were you surprised with that? No, probably not. Um, I, I think he'll probably get remembered in a negative kind of context for a lot of it just because he never got over the line. But I think you have to look at where Mayo were when he took over. Like it was a 2010, they lost to Longford, was it, or, or something like that, I think, in a qualifier in, uh, in Pierce Park. And Mayo were at an extremely low ebb. And he has brought them to contenders when even <laughs> despite their lack of conversion all those years and despite own goals and despite all the hardship and everything else, he has got them to the top table and brought, and brought a level of professionalism that they, they, they never had before in reality, bar the odd sporadic day here, here or there. But um, I, I think Mayo might get a little reality check when they see who comes in next. And a lot of Mayo supporters were crying out for someone new, but you know, the grass isn't always greener either. Like, so it'll be an interesting year in the next couple of years to see if, um, to see if anything kind of alters there, but also you have to remember Mayo missing their two best forwards. Like if you take if you take um, if you take Sean O'Shea and David Clifford out of Kerry, that's a different animal, and that, and that's the reality of Ryan O'Donoghue, Tommy Conroy. Maybe they're not at the quite the same level of the two Kerry boys, but it's 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 relatively equivalent, you know. But it's 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 funny. Kerry were there to be shot at, and and there, I said it earlier. Their their over elaboration sometimes was was. Uh, it's frustrating, like because they're, they're they're lovely kickers, they're lovely, they they have all the right skills, but it's like they want to show 
so too much sometimes. Sometimes you just take it down a little level and kind of and, and just and just take make a simple pass, take a simple score. Um like I, Mayo were, I thought, really good for 15 minutes after the second half, and they had maybe five or six wides in a row, and it just drained the energy out of them. Like if, if they're even clipping over three or four of them, all of a sudden it's a really tight game. And every wide was just an energy sapper. And I, I kind of felt bad for, especially in around the half back line. Like I, I thought Lee Keegan, like Paddy Clifford didn't get a touch of ball. And Lee Keegan did an absolute number on him. He, you couldn't have asked for anything better. Um, I thought Omid Lachlan's tackling was incredible. Himself and Darren Moynan had a massive battle. And I thought that the Mayo looked like a team that work, need to work a little bit smarter rather than work harder because they're, they're so tenacious and their tackling is amazing. But every time the ball comes back out after a wide or after a drop short or whatever it might be, those midfielders, halfbacks, cornerbacks must be thinking to themselves, ah, lads, for God's sake, even keep it up that half of the field for three or four minutes, maybe a couple of phases of play at see can we build something. But it was like they were snapshotting and they were just pulling the trigger too early and it looked like a little bit of panic was setting in, you know. So Mayo probably wore where we thought they were. And the most disappointing aspect for me was that Kerry were so vulnerable to be beaten that Mayo Mayo could have they could have really taken that scalp if, if they were just slightly more clued in, you know. But um no, it, it disappointing. Yeah, very disappointing for Mayo. But there's no doubt though that the hour, the hour and a half, whatever it was, had an impact on the game because I know myself when you're up in Croke Park, if you have routine to do, you know, you, you'll you'll go in and you'll do whatever you do. You walk inside, you'll do your stretching, you'll do your band work, you'll get your handling right, all of those kind of things. Um, you, you you'll come back, you'll come back in, you'll you'll get your jersey on, you'll get the last bit of the fluids on board, all of that kind of stuff, and it's nearly done to the minute in your own routine. And um, that would have thrown that would have thrown those lads off something fierce. So I think it took the energy out of the crowd, and it took the energy out of both teams as well. And Stevie, does this for you? Does this cast any doubts for you over Kerry and their ability to make this an All Ireland and nailed on All Ireland after you've seen that display? You're you're bound to have doubts now, are you? Um, no, I probably don't have doubts, Joe. I just have the same sort of reservations that I've always had about them. You know, um, as Daniel says, we bit of over elaboration and things they got in their forward line and their forward play, but still feel, Joe, like if you shut down Clifford, you know, you're shutting down an awful lot of their potency and their and their track and track. Like I know they've got very very good players all over the field and and they've got a lot of good strong uh, lower leg power in their in their half back line and 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 coming from deep and obviously with Paddy and Tally in there this year, you know they're setting up very very defensively like well, which which is making them which is making them tougher to play against. But I, I just I just feel I just feel that if Conor Callaghan is fit for the semi final, uh, James McCarthy fit. I think if Dublin are fully fit in the semi final, I think Dublin will beat them, Joe. And I think Dublin will be, beat them on the basis that. Dublin will will just keep things so methodically simple. It'll be structure. It'll be simple, you know. And that's so really simple, is special, you know. And and I just feel yes, there's goals in carry, there's scores in carry, but Dublin have that sort of destructive potential that they can really really drop that carry team down. And I fancy Dublin to beat them, Joe, in the semi final. Okay, that's very interesting. Moving on, Stevie, to the Derry Clare game. Um, that was a scintillating display there from Derry. You know, we know the opposition weren't uh, Dublin or Kerry, but how good were Derry? Well, Joe, I think maybe, you know, without getting carried away, I'm sure Rory Gallagher will want to put a lid on things. Like, 
Derry did beat Clare by 11 points in the league, I think it was. I think it was 11 points in the league in the National League earlier in the year. So probably from a Derry perspective, they'll not be getting ahead of themselves either, Joe, you know, because, um, you know, it's a team that they were obviously expected to beat. I think Russ Common will probably be the sickest team over the weekend, having watched, uh, you know, Clare getting dismantled so easily um, against Derry. And, and they'll probably have looked at that game thinking that that was a game that they possibly could have could have beaten uh, Derry and to get to an All-Ireland semi-final because for them, you know, the, the, the semi-final of the All-Ireland is sort of the glass ceiling for them. So I would say they'd be very disappointed with the manner in, in which they collapsed against Clare. And I think it was more Joe Ruscommon collapsing rather than Clare winning that game in the, in the quarter sorry, in the last 12. Because I, I don't think anyone could could actually believe what was happening, Joe, you know, so late in the game. So I think, I think Clare were in bonus territory. Um, you know, Daniel obviously has has close links to the Clare camp with a few friends in the squad as well and might know a little bit more about, about what their goals and aims were at the start of the year. But they just looked like a team that were nearly so happy to be in the last game, you know. And and look, I'm, I'm sure they're a proud bunch of men and Colin Collins is a very, very astute manager and I'm sure they, they harboured sort of beliefs that they could beat Derry. But I just think Derry smelt a really huge opportunity there, Joe. Real huge opportunity. Started the game with so much intent. Um, this nonsensical theory that they can't play that system in Crow Park. Like Dublin and Kerry have been playing that system in Crow Park now for five or six years. So, um, you know, getting bodies back and breaking from deep and tradition. And that, that's been the standout difference uh, in Dublin over most teams during their time of winning five, six in a row with their ability, Joe, to get numbers ahead of the ball. To get to get to get to get um to get high to get depth in their attack and that's something that Derry have brought in this year and it's it's not something that's overly innovative and overly new it just it's just something that has just become you know so entrenched in them because of their level of physical conditioning that they're able to do it now Joe so repetitively and I think that that's that's been a big big plus for Derry they got a head start over a lot of teams in lockdown uh they were training obviously behind closed doors quite a large portion of the time during lockdown. Um, you know, and, and, and that's obviously given them a real head start, Joe, from a conditioning perspective, like and they built on that during Rory Gallagher's time. So for me, it was no big shock. And I really, really feel that, you know, if Derry can just sort out the little small tweaks in their kickout strategy, I don't think they'll be far away, Joe. And Daniel, Colin Collins there, even though Clare have done really well to get this far. I'm sure he was disappointed after the final whistle, especially to concede those five goals. And they didn't really perform, probably didn't justify themselves as well as they could have. No, and I, I think they probably weren't left to a certain degree. I, I think um, they, they would have tried to do everything that they normally would have done. They would have tried to bring intensity. They would have tried to to, to match Derry as much as they possibly could, but they just weren't let. They, they weren't let. And probably, the, again, we go back to little margins, but that the first maybe five or six minutes, both teams had a couple of wides. Um, it was a little bit cagey. Derry, got, Derry nipped on a point. Clare actually had missed a couple of fairly okay chances. And I say they've been happy enough after seven or eight minutes and then just your goalkeeper and a kick out. Like, I mean, that, that's, that's a giveaway goal. That is a, a handover goal, you know, and, and that's not... Yeah, there was a little bit of pressure, but I expect my keeper to be able to chip that to a fairly open midfielder all day. And all of a sudden, you're 1-1 to no score. The Derry crowd is rapturous. Then you're chasing. And Clare needed a day where they never chased. They needed a day where they could be solid, where they, similar to the Roscommon game, more or less, where they were pretty much in control for the majority of the game. Um, but it just never materialised. And once, as Stevie said, once Derry smelled blood, they just went after him. And look, I, I think, to be honest with you, I think Derry would have ripped Roscommon apart as well. 
Okay, uh, we seem to have a few sound problems with Daniel there at the minute. Uh, Stevie, just going back there a little bit to Derry, is there anything Derry need to do in training to even bring their game to a new level or another level against Galway? Because they, I'm not saying they're the finished article or anything like that, but how did they? what do they need to do in training over the next few weeks? Does it continue the, the same game plan they have or do they need to add anything uh, new or different? No, well, listen, Joe, like at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're, they're a very, very well-oiled machine. I said to, to, the, to a couple of friends of mine there the other evening, I says like they, they're a team that are they're in such harmony with their manager and their game plan. You know, everyone's singing the same hymn sheet. There's no egos within the squad. Uh, there's no show ponies. Everyone's putting their shoulder to the wheel. Everyone's playing to a system, to a structure. Um, you know, the roles are very clear. As Daniel pointed out as well, a few little sort of, Tweaky matchups as well. Brendan Rogers even got on to Murphy in the in the Ulster final and putting Murphy on the back foot and the same again on on Saturday past against Clare. You know by by putting the Clare midfield in the back foot and you know Rory Gallagher is a very astute coach, Joe, a very very astute manager. Um, he studies the game very very deeply. Uh, he'll have done a huge amount of homework on this Galway team. Uh, we don't know what's coming down the line for Galway as well from a suspension point of view. Uh, they may lose one or two players for that game. So obviously that will have an impact in, into the game itself. But Derry are probably in a very, very good place, Joe. A really good place in the fact that they could sit back on Sunday, watch that game, you know, look at Gleeson. I think they'll go after Gleeson something serious. I really think they'll go after him hard and heavy. Uh, I think they've got enough strength and physicality around that middle third, particularly the likes of Glass and Emmett Bradley and guys they got to uh, compete with McDade and Conroy and Tierney. So I think you'll find Derry, Joe, particularly early in this game, going after a Galway kicker. And what Derry will look to do early in this game is get in front because Galway play a very counter-attacking style of football as well. They like to sit deep. Um, they like to mark zonally. They, mark, they, like, they like to sit with a deep line of uh, zonal defence. If Derry can get in front, what you'll find, Joe, then is that Derry will sit in and Derry will probably pick holes off in Galway. The longer the game goes on, they'll look then to pick the holes off in Galway. And, and and make make Galway look like, like cannon fodder. But look, it's going to be an, an intriguing game. I think both semi-finals were now at a level where both games are probably going to be really tight, uh, really enjoyable, um, you know, really intriguing. They're two games to really look forward to. Uh, probably looking back at the quarterfinals, Joe, a lot of talk about the Talton Cup this year and tiered football, et cetera, et cetera. But if we're going to be realistic, Joe, you know, there probably is a top three or four in, in the country and the rest are a long way behind, in my opinion, you know. And, and it's been like that for a while, Joe. When you look at the average margin of wins, like Dublin won by 12, was it, or 11? Yeah. You know, Derry won 12. Uh, Derry won by 8 or 9. You know, none events, none events, you know. So if you're talking about tiers and, and competitions, you know, you could, you could perceivably have three or four. We look towards the semi-finals, and Stevie, I want you to uh, get off the fence here with Galway Derry. Who do you think will win that game? Joe, I just think at this stage here now, I think um, you know Derry have have so much more clarity in what they're doing. In my opinion, I still think Galway, as much as they've sort of got a bit more steely defensively under under the likes of John Devley and that, um, I just feel. I just feel, Joe, they still have, you know, just too many Mavericks, you know, too many players that will do their own thing. Um, you know, 
obviously people complain about the game being very systematic and and you know and sterile and things like that as well. But at the end of the day, Derry don't really care about what the other people think. And you know they're a team that are very much in harmony with everything their managers asked them to do. Uh, they've got serious momentum, Joe. There's a serious buzz around the county as well. Um, you know everyone is behind them at this stage. It's been so long since Derry have been you know within a, a huge opportunity of getting an All Ireland final. You know, so for me, I just think this chance is just not going to bypass Derry. Um, I really don't. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a Derry and Dublin final. What What do you think, Daniel? Yeah, I, I'd be kind of leaning towards the same. But with the Kerry Dublin game, it all depends on on who's fit and available. And I know that's a bit of a cop out. But if if Conor lands back, I I would say Dublin. If if he's out, I I think Kerry could pip it. Um. I, I think Derry have too many strings to their bow. I think they just they can give it to you any way you want it. You know whether that's we can shut it down and have have a have a tough watch, or we can play open stuff. And even I, I think the emotional energy from Galway uh, after the weekend it was such a massive occasion. It'll be very hard to kind of get it back down a bit and and rebuild again. So I I probably I probably say Derry will beat Galway, and the other one injuries injuries to the Dermot. And lads, just to finish off the Tolson Cup final, it's been played before the Galway Derry game on July the 9th. I think both of you actually tipped Calvin, am I right? At the outset. Yeah. I'd say I'm an <laughs> you still you still stand with that, obviously, yeah. Ah, uh, well listen, Joe, you know, Calvin, <laughs> Calvin are a or a you know, they're a they're a side who honestly probably really and truly like, you know, are probably better than some of the teams that are that were in the All Ireland series, Joe. You know, um, you know, you had the likes of of obviously Louth and Limerick and Sizing. I would no no disrespect to those teams, but you know, Cavan or have a better have a better group of players there. And and you know, yes, they seem to have embraced the Talisman Cup, but it might give them a bit of a buzz and a bit of a lift. I, I still, Joe, have huge reservations about the competition. I really, really do. Um, I'm not convinced on it. I think there's been an awful lot of drubbins handed out in it as well. You know, Calvin beat down by 12 points. Calvin Slago was quite entertaining. Westmead awfully semi-final, pathetic. You know, it was such a shocking standard of football. So, you know, in an, in an empty crew park, like, let's be honest, despite the fact they tried to jazz it up by squeezing everyone into the lower Hogan and making sure the camera was on that. Like, but no, I, I, I just feel, I feel at the weekend, um, it'll probably be a decent enough game, but it's... It's not something or competition, Joe, that really whets my appetite, to be honest with you. But if I'm if I've tipped Cavan, I'll probably stick with Cavan just to just to edge it this weekend. And Daniel, you're you're still with Cavan, but you you're more positive about the competition, aren't you? Yeah, I I'll give it a couple of years. I, I still think it needs a little bit of time to bed in. Um the the only fear that I have for the twenties are a lot of the main players will be playing. I wonder will the G, the GA back that up if, if they will. But look, a couple of years time we'll see. Um, from the point of view of the game, I th- I actually liked a lot of what, what Westmead did the last day. I thought they played with a lot of aggression and they still conceded. Was it, I can't remember it was two sixteen maybe or something like that they conceded, which is a little bit too much to an awfully team. They were much better then, but it'll actually I'd say it'll be a decent enough contest because you probably have the two best teams in let's say. Mm-hmm. Okay, lads. Well, thanks for coming on. I think both of you have training tonight. Uh, Daniel, you're probably going to get your uh, Wi-Fi fixed there, and Stevie, you'll probably be uh, deleting a few of your tweets. But uh... <laughs> Joe, I was always told by never saying anything to anybody 
I'll never put anything on social media that you wouldn't say to someone's face. So I'll say the exact same thing if I meet those people from RTE. <laughs> <laughs> okay, lads. Thanks for thanks for coming on, and we'll see you in two weeks' time. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thanks,